Hey, this is Michael from Muckrock. A big thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring this week's episode. MailChimp celebrates creativity, chaos, and teamwork. At Muckrock, we're one of the more than 4 million people and businesses around the world using MailChimp to send email newsletters. It's great software. I can't recommend a better, easier way to connect with your audience. Thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring, and when you have something to say, go to MailChimp.com to learn more. There's a battle going on right now, a battle to define everything that happens on the internet in terms of traditional things that the law understands. Is sharing a video on BitTorrent like shoplifting from a movie store? Or is it like loaning a videotape to a friend? Is reloading a web page over and over again like a peaceful virtual sit-in or a violent smashing of shop windows? Is the freedom to connect like freedom of speech or like the freedom to murder? In 2012, Aaron Swartz, an early developer of Reddit and RSS, delivered a speech at the Freedom to Connect conference. Before this speech, he already had an impressive track record. In addition to his work on Reddit, Swartz had founded the progressive group Common Cause and ran an influential blog, Raw Thoughts. His skills were diverse. Often described as a computer hacker, he was as much at home with legal codes as he was with digital ones. And on this day at Freedom to Connect, where he spoke out passionately and emotionally about the dangers of a bill called SOPA. The audience responded to his words with action. This bill would be a huge, potentially permanent loss. If we lost the ability to communicate with each other over the internet, it would be a change to the Bill of Rights, the freedoms guaranteed in our Constitution, the freedoms our country had been built on, would be suddenly deleted. New technology, instead of bringing us greater freedom, would have snuffed out fundamental rights we'd always taken for granted. And I realized that day that I couldn't let that happen. It's doubtful that anyone in the audience thought Swartz might commit suicide just eight months later, but he did. Thousands mourned his passing, including me. I'd met Aaron several years back in Cambridge, where we both lived at the time. Aaron told me about his history trying to release public documents. Let's just say that it was long. After our meeting, Aaron became one of Muckrock's first users, filing freedom information requests through our website. Many responses to his requests are still coming in, well after his death. On episode two of Muckrock, we examined public documents sought by Aaron Swartz. They comprise over 500 pages. His interests range from a coin that could save our economy to the postmortem pictures of America's foremost villain. And his requests shine light into the brilliant mind of a person who fought for transparency by any means necessary. I'm Michael Morrissey. This is Muckrock. Keep listening. In 1999, the U.S. Mint began to roll out a 50-state quarter program. Each state would get a special coin, and each state's coin would only be in circulation for a limited time. Aaron sent in a public records request for the surveys taken of that 50-state coin program. He wondered, are people hoarding the coins? Is such hoarding artificially inflating or deflating the value of everybody else's money? He died before he had the chance to go through the papers. But what struck me about this request was how perfectly it illustrated Aaron Swartz's amazing, nerdy curiosity. His interest ran broad and deep. He was known as a hacker and a computer nerd in popular media. But here he is, geeking out on some of the finer points of monetary policy. His last tweet, in fact, was a list of his top five Hall of Fame U.S. Mint directors. Dial, Rittenhouse, Patterson, Ross, Sims. 
Over the past few years, the government has started a bold new strategy in fighting counterfeiters and software pirates. Take over their web domains. ICE, or Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, has seized domains for a variety of reasons, and sometimes no reason at all. Very little information about this program has been released, and Aaron wanted to know more, so he filed a Freedom Information Act request. I hereby request the following records. Any records related to domain name seizures, including those conducted by DHS and ICE. Aaron wanted to know which websites were taken down, when the servers were taken, why they were seized, everything about this program that we had so little information about. ICE, after months of waiting, finally responded with the following. Comprehensive searches were conducted within ICE's Office of Homeland Security Investigations and Office of the Principal Legal Advisor. Those searches produced 16,237 pages of records. At this time, ICE has completed processing the first 100 pages. But following this polite greeting, we only received heavily redacted documents. Aaron got almost nothing he wanted. He wrote to me in an email after this. Wow, just looked through the first 100 pages. Their redactions are absurd. I'm not sure it's worth paying for the rest, since they obviously are just redacting everything substantive. ICE had stated in a letter that, for more of these redacted pages, they wanted $2,131.70. It's not known just how many domains ICE has or under what basis is it to seize the domains, nor what due process was followed. This frustrated Aaron. He had used the right methods, he obeyed the law, and the government put up a roadblock. It was one of many he faced, and it would be repeated when he asked to see the corpse of the world's most wanted terrorist. That man, of course, Osama bin Laden. Within the reports was a tiny detail that mentioned a SEAL had taken photos of bin Laden's bullet-riddled corpse. Aaron saw that tiny detail. And as he watched as the White House told reporters the military was not going to release the photos, he decided to send in a request to the U.S. Navy for the following. Any photos or videos from the 2011 operation to capture or kill Osama bin Laden in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Aaron's request was one of the first FOIAs submitted to see the pictures of bin Laden. He argued that it was not the president's call to summarily deny access to the photos, even if their release may be insensitive or inflammatory. Instead, access must be denied under one of a number of existing FOIA exemptions, which cover everything from national security to personal privacy to mineral mining rights. The Navy did not cite any of those exemptions. They simply rejected his request, saying, we're not going to respond. That rejection became a major news story. Politico and ABC News reported on it. Aaron appealed the rejection. The Navy finally agreed that it would perform a full search for the photos. And months later, they responded essentially with the following. The Department of Defense holds no records responsive to your request. We looked in one place and they are gone. So I guess there are no photos. Sorry. It's one of those things that begs belief. And finally, after Aaron's death and a lawsuit over the photo, the government said that they looked in another place and found the photos, but it still says the public can't have them. I don't think Aaron took the rejection of the ICE documents or the bin Laden photos personally. He just looked at them as what they were, roadblocks, or at least temporary barriers. What made him different from so many other people is that he always searched for ways to get around the problem, no matter what it was. And that's what ultimately, I believe, led him into that MIT wiring closet. JSTOR, a collection of academic journals, 
that sits behind a paywall. Academic institutions pay for their students to access the information. Aaron thought that the research stored in JSTOR, many of which is taxpayer funded, should be online and free to access by anyone. So Aaron found a way around that paywall. He saw a legal loophole in JSTOR agreements. Access was free at libraries like MIT's. So he thought that if it's free here, why can't I just download unlimited copies of the articles? It was the equivalent of using a library card to check out all the books, except all the books were still there for others to read too. To get faster access to that underlying database, he found his way into an MIT server room. He hooked up his laptop and began downloading article after article, checking out thousands of books at a time. Eventually, Aaron was caught. A district attorney in Massachusetts threatened him with up to 35 years in prison. The FBI was investigating him, and the Secret Service was called in too. And on January 11, 2013, for reasons that only Aaron could truly understand, he took his own life. There are more Freedom Information requests filed by Aaron Swartz on our website. His request for Secret Service decryption techniques, files on alleged document leaker Bradley Manning, and information on a raid on Instapaper. These requests offer evidence of a person who had a different way of looking at the world. A lot of people say, this is the way it is, we're going to fight it. He saw the world and policy as problems to solve, and he spent much of his short life trying to find a solution to those problems. He'd try one tact. If it didn't work or a roadblock appeared, he'd find another path. It seems like the world was a puzzle to him, and he wanted to put as many of the pieces together as he could. I only wish he was still working on that puzzle. In a post on his blog, Aaron once wrote, Transparency can be a powerful thing, but not in isolation. So let's stop passing the buck by saying our job is to just get the data out there, and it's other people's job to figure out how to use it. Let's decide that our job is to fight for good in the world. We won this fight because everyone made themselves the hero of their own story. Everyone took it as their job to save this crucial freedom. Our story today came from public document requests made by Aaron Swartz himself. It was edited and produced by Bradley Campbell. All the stories you hear on Muckrock are made possible by the Freedom of Information Act. Want to file a public records request on your own? Head to our website, muckrock.com. We'll show you how. To date, Muckrock has filed over 4,100 public records requests, allowing more than 59,000 pages of public documents into the public eye. I'm Michael Morrissey. This is Muckrock. Thanks for listening. <laughs>